Moses returns to Egypt to give hope to the Israelites. But their hope soon turns to discouragement as Pharaoh resists the command of God. On The Bible Brief. Parents, please screen this episode before listening with children. Each one of us makes pivotal decisions in our lives. For some, it's whether to accept that job in a new city and move away from everything you know. For others, it could be whether to stand on your convictions and lose the job you do have. Even others, it may be deciding on asking that cute girl on a date or not. All of these decisions could prove pivotal for the rest of your life. But there's one decision that you make that changes everything about your life. It's the decision to either follow what God says or not. God says that we should believe in Jesus and follow his commands. But the world says that we should believe in ourselves and create our own standards of behavior. God says that love goes so far as to lay your life down for another. The world says that love only goes so far as to make you feel good. God says you are mine and I made you for a purpose. The world says you're nobody and you need to create your own purpose. God gives this decision to everyone, a decision that charts the course of each of our lives. Are we going to follow what God says or not? Your decision is not different from Moses' decision at that burning bush. Moses had to decide whether to follow God or follow his own desires to keep his shepherding life in Midian. He'd spent 40 years making a new life for himself in Midian, but God was calling him to return to the world of his birth, a world of slavery and trials, a world where Moses wouldn't be a random shepherd. He would be the leader of a nation, a world where Moses would face certain hardship, death on all sides, and resistance from even his own people. Would Moses choose a life of real hardship and joy as he experienced real, intimate relationship with God? Or would he choose to remain an obscure shepherd? Ultimately, Moses fights his desires, and he submits to God's plan. We read this in Exodus chapter 4, verse 19. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Moses packs up his family and his things and heads back to Egypt. He heads back to the life that he'd had long ago. And he goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who may have been a household friend of Moses in his adolescence, but now will be the great enemy of God. God is going to use Pharaoh's hardened heart to show his power to save Israel the nation that God here calls his firstborn son, 
the preeminent nation that God has chosen in the world. And part of God's power will be a demonstration of retribution upon the Egyptians. God doesn't forget the wrongs done to those who are his. And yet, those who are his aren't exempt from obeying his commands either. On the way to Egypt, we find that God actually plans to put Moses to death in an account that has vexed Bible readers for generations. It says this, At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood, because of the circumcision. What an odd few sentences that create a lot of questions for us. Why would God seek to put Moses to death? Why would Moses' wife, Zipporah, circumcise their son suddenly? And why is she putting the skin on Moses' feet? Well, the simplest explanation of this is that God is judging the disobedience of Moses. If you remember back to Genesis, we found that the sign of the Abrahamic covenant was the sign of circumcision of male infants, a sign related to the promise of seed in abundance. On the eighth day after birth, every son was to be circumcised to demonstrate his participation in the Abrahamic covenant. Apparently, Moses had not followed this command, and Zipporah knew it. Perhaps they had had conversations about performing the ritual sign, but Moses didn't demand it. For this disobedience, God sought the life of Moses, and it wasn't until the circumcision was complete that God relented from his judgment. No one is exempt from God's command, whether they be the chosen leader of his chosen nation or the rebellious leader of an oppressive nation. After this scene, we see God now speak to Aaron for the first time. Remember, Aaron is the older brother of Moses, who God has said will be the spokesman for Moses when they arrive in Egypt. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God, where the burning bush had been, and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went back to Egypt, and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Notice the reception of Moses and Aaron when Moses returns after forty years. Aaron speaks everything that they were to tell the people, and the miraculous signs confirm to the people that God has indeed sent Moses to deliver them from their bondage. What's the reaction of the people? They believed, they bowed their heads, and they worshipped. What a serene and hopeful moment this must have been for the beleaguered nation. After 400 years of being in a foreign land, after many, many years of backbreaking work and children cast into the Nile, God had finally heard them. He hadn't forgotten them in the promises to their fathers. He was going to save them. If you had been there, I think you would have worshipped God in that moment too. Next, Aaron and Moses go to Pharaoh a man who does not believe, despite the signs. Afterward, 
Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with the pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the Israelites straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them, and you shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid upon the men, that they may labor at it, and pay no regard to lying words. Pharaoh does not believe. He does not know Yahweh, and he does not let the people go. Instead, he increases their labor and lays even heavier burdens upon the people. His great kingdom of Egypt will not be weakened by the request of some of his Hebrew slaves and their supposed God. No, he will show his power over them in even greater force. He'll require the same amount of work with less material for building. He'd make the work difficult and nearly impossible. Next we read this. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten, and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But Pharaoh said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must deliver the same number of bricks. The encouraging announcement that God had remembered his people and his promises, the joy of the people of Israel, was quickly snuffed out by the tyrant Pharaoh. The flame of hope flickered in a strong wind. The people are beaten. Their labor is increased. Their bodies are breaking. And they come to Moses and Aaron. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. The reaction of belief, bowing, and worship was replaced with cynicism and sadness toward the two brothers. Perhaps these two were just swindlers and liars looking for attention. Attention that was costing the whole Israelite nation broken bones and broken spirits. The appearance of Moses and Aaron 
had only made their lives worse. If God ever remembered them, he would make their lives better, not worse. So Moses soon comes to the Lord in prayer. Moses turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Moses boldly says to God what the whole nation is thinking toward him. Why make our lives worse? I thought you were going to deliver the nation, not harm them. I thought you sent me to deliver them, not enslave them further. God, you have not delivered them. You have not done what you said to me on the mountain. You've given us false hope. Moses is distraught at the apparent inaction of God on behalf of the nation. But isn't this waiting period, this testing period, characteristic of God? Isn't this something we've seen before? Didn't God make a promise of offspring to Abraham, for which he had to wait decades? Didn't God say that it would be through Isaac that his promise would be fulfilled, before he sent Abraham to Moriah to sacrifice Isaac? Didn't God promise the land to all the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Faith is proven when it's tested. Faith is shown by obedience. Faith is proclaimed on the confidence of yet unfulfilled promises. The Israelites had been waiting 400 years. But what's 400 years to God? It's simply an hour, simply a moment. And just as God tests in one moment, He'll deliver in the next. Join us next time as we see God's wonders of deliverance. Water turns to blood. Locusts envelop the land, and Egypt is decimated. All while Pharaoh crosses his arms at God, he will not let Israel go. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible.